When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Grind. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your May installment of The Grind. My name is Roddy Reynolds, your host, and today we are changing things up. So, traditionally, The Grind has been, for those listening, an interview-style platform. We've spoken to recently Mikhail Pervlarakis, Christian Harrison, Mark Woodford, a couple of others. But we want to change things up a little bit and create more of a discussion-style platform, a bit of back and forth where we can monitor the tours a bit easier and where we can sort of keep up to date with moving storylines rather than just the typical one-on-one subject-style interview. So to do that, we're bringing uh, a co-host on board. And uh, for those listening, that co-host should ring a bell. Uh, Her name is Alex Osborne. She's been on here before. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to being a part of the team. Fantastic. So for those listening, I have... Probably not uh, been overly forthcoming uh, in my time as host of The Grind. So I've kind of just jumped on here and started uh, interviewing people without really giving any broader background to who I am and why I'm here. So hi, everyone. My name's Roddy, and I've started working for the First Serve a couple of years ago in a writing capacity, and that has developed uh, more broadly than just writing. And I've been fortunate enough to go on site at a few events, and that's how I met Alex initially in person. Um, and I've done a couple of Australian Opens. I was at the Labor Cup last year, which was one of the great joys being there for the big four in London. And I've picked up the grind at the start of the year and we're going to run forward with that. In terms of my tennis credentials, there are none, uh, which is a crying shame. But um, I was at best a high school hack and at worst, whatever's beneath that. And I guess like most of us, my my love for the game probably far outweighs my ability. But at least the other half of us here can say that they have something of a different story to tell. So Ali, how are you going? And tell everyone at the moment where you are in the world, what you're doing and what's been happening since we last spoke. Yeah, thanks again for having me. I'm just so excited to be a part of the Grind podcast. I am currently home. I'm in Sydney, Australia. I've just spent seven weeks in America doing a six tournament swing there, which was good. Got to see a lot of, you know, my American friends and got to visit a lot of new places, which was fun. It's always fun to, um, when you're on tour, to try and see new places and and not uh, visit, revisit the same places. So that was great. I'm heading off to London on Tuesday next week to go and play a few grass tournaments, hopefully. And I'll stick around in Europe for a few months probably and play a lot on clay. Yeah, I think some people may know who I am, may not. I've done one podcast before with Roddy. I am from Sydney, Australia. I started tennis when I was 12. I uh, went the college route. So I, you know, I played through high school and I went to Meriden and that really elevated my game to be able to go to college. I wasn't ready for pro out of high school. So when the college route, which I'm very fortunate about, I loved it. I went to Arizona State University. I graduated with an undergrad in Bachelor of Science of Business Management and a master's in sports law and business. And I started on tour at in May 2018, played for 14 months, got injured, COVID happened, started playing again in 2021. So I haven't spent too much time on tour considering I'm just on 28. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to, you know, another few years on tour hopefully and, and getting up there in the ranks. 
few good uh, Arizona State people in the news at the moment recently. Yeah, yep. yeah. John Rahm and is Des, yeah. Des Krychek's from there as well, isn't she? Yeah, Des has been doing amazing on tour. I don't know where her rankings rank, if it's top 10 at the moment or if it's it's somewhere around there. It's um, She's been doing fantastic. Uh, she had one or two wins in the last month or month and a bit. Mm. And, of course, yeah, John John Rahm. So he was at school the same time as me. So yeah, I saw, I saw your post. Were close. Yeah, the tennis and golf team were close. So um, it was always fun, you know, it's just fun seeing other athletes excelling um, out of college. And uh, it's a great platform to be able to use to elevate uh, your game professionally. So, yeah, it's great seeing him doing so well. Happy days. And how'd the, um, how'd the six weeks in the States go? Obviously, I've, I've, I was following your results along a bit and we've spoken, but how have, um, how's the first part of the year gone? Because you're about to embark again, as you said, on a pretty big swing. Nearly middle of the year. I mean, it's gone so fast. I, I know. I know. I, I played, you know, the Aussie swing before heading to America. America was good. It was tough. It was actually really strong. The events were quite stacked at some of the events. So I played two 25s. I played then a 100 to a 60, a 100, and then a 60. So, yeah, I mean, even the, one of the 25s was unreal. It was in Boca uh, in Florida. And then just so many people are based in Florida. So those tournaments tend to be really strong. And then we had three of them in Florida. So, yeah, I mean, they, they were good fun. I, I had some mixed results, uh, you know, kind of expected to do a little bit better, to be honest. But, you know, now off to Europe to try and pick up some points and just, you know, keep enjoying the tennis. <laughs> and pre-season at the moment? I am, yeah. So I had last week off, much needed, just to rest the body and, and catch up with a bunch of friends and, and life admin back home. And this week, in full swing of it, practicing, you know, two a days, gym, conditioning, you name it, putting in like long days. Yeah, it's been it's been good, but body's a bit sore, but no, it's worth it. Awesome. Well, it is nice to actually speak to you on the same time zone. It's it's at that part of the year where it's getting challenging when, you, when you're trying to uh, speak to your tennis contacts and trying to, you know, get insight on what's going on or, you know, get an interview for an article or whatever it might, we might be doing. The, uh, the time zones is a bit of a killer, but it is nice to have you... Uh, it- at least on Australian standard time for a very for a, nice for at least a week. <laughs> yeah, for a brief moment. So I think at the moment to the the Challenger tour and the ITF tours, five months down at this point. So we can probably start to look at who's been doing well, what we've noticed, and all that sort of thing. First thing I've noticed out of the Challenger tour, uh, focusing specifically on the Challenger tour at this point, social media makeover. Have you noticed this? Oh yeah, yes, yeah. I know. Big presence, new accounts. Yeah, the yeah. ITF have really ramped up. It um, is. They followed through the Challenger Tour a little bit. They're posting yeah. really comp, like regularly, yeah. It is enormous, the makeover they've made. So the Challenger Tour, if we think about their makeover, they have had traditionally that really, really ordinary green logo for like a decade at least. Yeah. Now, they've moved to this uh, black, matte black sort of formatting CT letters now ne- next to one another as, the, as their logo. Uh, someone who I won't name but someone who you and I both know well enough they posted very cynically on their Instagram account saying something to the effect of, wow, how much money went into this marketing? I can't imagine a single <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. a single person will watch Challenger Tour because of this. But I reckon that is a load of rubbish because first of all, the social media content is way better now. We're actually for those that stream Challenger Tour events, if you it's kind of like that court angle at court 14 at the Aussie Open where it's like a camera at the top of the fence at the back of the court that basically captures no nuance or anything and it's just like a down-the-line uh, piece of footage in like with three pixels max. Whereas now what we've got is high definition rather, close up, like everything looks great, really, really focused and clean picture. 
And the content looks amazing. And they're actually, they're flying on the social media game. Like I know their followers have uh, ticked over a few milestones recently. Like they're up over hundred K followers and that sort of thing. And they've been posting about that, but I think it's going to have a massive presence. I, I don't know who, if you picked up on who, who our cynic was, but I think it's going to have a huge, huge effect. And the ITF, as you said, have followed suit. Yeah, they have. I think, I mean, I think it's important and, and, and good because you're seeing a lot more live streaming happening, especially filtering down to the ITF level. And the goal is to have all matches live streamed. And if we can have, um, you know, that again, high definition kind of great eye capturing logos and, and stuff, it is good for the game and it, it should hopefully help be an aspect to growing the game. Um, you know, it's tough, you know, you want finances to sometimes go a certain way when you're a player, obviously. And, I can understand the frustrations for sure, but um, just also being on the panel and kind of having to go through um, seeing certain changes and, like, for example, just with the ITF uh, Instagram page kind of revamp, um, it's it's important for us because right now that's how, you know, this generation receives information, right? The emails aren't a thing and, you know, because the ITF, the players like, oh, we didn't receive that email, we didn't get that. So now we're trying to kind of go a different route and, and figure out how we can get all of this information into millennials and I don't know, whatever you call it, Gen Z. I'm not sure what's what, but uh, getting it into different um, kids' hands into what the tours are looking like and what's happening on tour. So, um, you know, that's the way the future technology and and uh, social media. So if we can have a presence there, which we've never had, I think it's good. 100%. And, I mean, it's probably not made super easy by the fact that each different tour has their own different social media presence and whatnot. But if you don't spend the money in it, you won't get anything out of it. And I'm sure that whatever they spent for their new black logo was more than they needed to. But um, I mean, you know, uh, the AFL had a 12 month search for a, for a new head of footy and they picked the bloke who who had the office next to the other bloke. So like, I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's worse ways to spend money. One of the other things they've done with the, with the Challenge Tour is they've reformatted their event structure. And so they've got the 175-point events. That There's a few of them a year now. There's 125s, 100s, 75s, and 50s. So the Challenger Tour is probably a bit more reflective of the women's ITF Tour rather than obviously the men's uh, with that broad range of points available. And like they've had the 175-point events. So that's barely less than an ATP 250, obviously. And I think they've been really successful. Like they had the Arizona challenger Berrettini was the one seed Tanasi I think at the yeah, time was ranked like 110 could barely get into the draw it was absolutely stacked and good place for a tournament not biased there but Arizona is a good place good place for a tournament say that good weather yeah. all year round yeah we'll have to take your word for it on that one but like I think I think that's <laughs> I think that's really important to have like the more options there and then by by strategically placing these challenger events so they sit in the second week of masters events at ATP level and second week of Grand Slams, you're obviously going to get those top caliber players who still might have even won three rounds. But I think then what you can really gain is a following with the fans and you can kind of build a bit more of a connection between the ATP Tour and the Challenger Tour. Whereas I think before you had these bigger events, that the best you could win is 100 points at a Challenger. You're just not going to have as many people dropping down to partake in that tour because the, the reward's just not as good. Whereas now, like, you could win a 175 Challenger and be better off than coming runner-up in an ATP 250, which is probably not what some people would consider the ideal structure. But for me, I think it's great. And to have the likes of Matteo Berrettini as the one seed and Andy and Stan played in Bordeaux and Andy was against Tommy Paul in a final. He's the 17 years since his last Challenger. Like, the fact that people can pay 20 bucks for a ticket and go to a Challenger and watch one of the big four run around, I mean, that is far more yeah. important than I think people give it credit for. 
yeah, no, it's awesome. I think it's great. I, I'm interested to know, I, I don't know how it works quite so much on the ATP Challenger Tour, but is there a, a play down rule where players can play down, you know, ranking wise and stuff like that? I wonder if players, if there's backlash from men's players, if they want that happening is interesting because I know on the women's side, it's been happening a lot on the ITF Tour where we've got players playing down and we're getting quite a bit of backlash from players being like, you know, why this doubles team has a combined ranking of 30 and they're playing in an ITF or, you know, you've got Layla Fernandez playing, you know, in the 100. And I mean, that the 100 was obviously in Portugal was very, very tough due to the fact that one of the WTA events was cancelled in Europe. Mm. So understandably, there was wild cards given and that Portugal tournament was tough. This isn't the Layla Fernandez one in the Madrid, but there are players playing down right now. We're seeing ITFs and um, it's just interesting to, I guess, see and hear from players and hopefully we'll be able to ask some of these questions to players in the future about what their thoughts are on that. I think commercially it's a net positive having blokes like uh, Andy and Stan coming down and play challenges or Leila Fernandez. I think there is an ATP leveling. There is a ranking. I don't know if it's quite called a play down rule, but I remember seeing Connor Joyce. I don't, don't know if you met Connor, but he's also involved with the first serve. He posted something on Twitter, I think, about Demon having the option to play, for, say, for instance, that Korean challenger swing that Purcell and Savile and all those boys have just been yeah. playing. He had the option of doing that or he could go and try and, like, you know, play uh, Rome and Barcelona and Madrid. And, and the cynical view is, well, if you don't get out of the first couple of rounds in those tournaments, you may as well have just been on the hard courts in Korea. But I remember seeing some commentary around that, that Demon's ranking wouldn't let him do it, but he's top 20. And so I would... You yeah, would he's think, pretty high, yeah. Yeah, you would think it makes sense that a top 20 player can't just drop to a challenger, but... I would imagine for these 175 challenges, you couldn't have that rule because if you're going to have, if you think about it, if you're going to have a 175 point challenger in the second week of a Masters, your talent pool is those that have lost in the Masters or who are trying to sneak in by like an alternate route or something. And so you can't really control who loses in the first week of a Masters. Like in theory, if a top 10 player loses in the first week, they should be able to play that event. Whether that is the case, I don't know. But I feel like they should because your talent pool is directly linked to who who's knocked out of the other one. And so for me, there shouldn't be a restriction, but perhaps there is. Yeah, so we, we've seen some examples of some players, uh, big names playing in ITF events recently. There was Fernandez, as you said. Yeah, huge names. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of players. I think even Alina Spitalina, you know, obviously coming back from her, her birth, uh, which is huge. And um, obviously her ranking isn't like Layla's right now, but, you know, it's been there before. And she obviously is that caliber player to be number one in the world, top 10 consistently. And, you know, hopefully she gets back up there. But she obviously made her appearance, I think, for the first time in 10 years. And she was playing a W60 in Switzerland. Mm. And then the next week she played in Portugal again in the ITF. But she'd have a protected ranking, wouldn't she? Does she need to do that? That's a great question. I didn't actually look too far into if she has a protected. Maybe, on, well, I did I did read that she wanted it for matches. You know, at the end of the day, she, she needs confidence and players use the ITF tour for that when they're coming back from injury uh, to get those matches, to build that confidence, to get back playing, you know, match fit. Last year I was playing a tournament in Tyler, Texas, and Kennan was there, mm. you know. So these players do play down to help coming back from injury or time off to, to get those matches and confidence. So, again, yeah, interesting to see if anything happens with there being put a rule just because I know a lot of players have, it's like big topic right now playing down. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It, it could be like a... Maybe you can't play three levels below or two levels below what what you would normally get into maybe. Or maybe they'll, I don't know, come up with an idea of playing, you know, getting exemptions for two tournaments that, you know, aren't within your ranking bracket or something. to Because it's still yeah. good to have a present at tournaments, but I think 
if people are, are taking away from, you know, players' opportunities to then build up to get into the WTA tournaments, that's also then a bit of a catch-22 and trying to have players use it to get to that level. Well, it's interesting because it raises a decent segue point, which is Max Purcell's now 67 in the world, and he's done that on the back of a three-week run, well, basically a six-week run, but in particular, three tournaments in three weeks on the Challenger circuit in India. His strategy at the moment, which I respect, is he's basically staying on the hard courts as much as he can. So Max is probably and arguably one of, if not the best doubles player in the world because anyone who plays with him finds a trophy in their hands and it doesn't really seem to matter who he's playing with. This guy could play with anyone and win a tournament. It's nuts. It's great. But in the singles game, he has got himself up from outside the top 200 or whatever he was at the start of the year, and he's now down to 67, and it's off playing on hard courts. And I saw something on social media where someone asked him, you know, now that your ranking's like this, are you going to play Bordeaux? Are you going to play Rome? Are you going to, you know, what clay courts are you going to jump into? And his reaction was, nah, I'm playing hard courts. And that's fair enough because you want to maximize your opportunities to get ranking points, which is effectively what we're talking about with this playing down rule that or this absence of a playing down rule where players can come in and basically bush ranger a lower event, get an easy dub and then get out of there. But in contrast, I was speaking to Kim Birrell the other day who said to me that her approach at the moment is to go all in on all surfaces. So her approach was, uh, I'm going to be better for it if I play the clay. As an aggressive baseliner, maybe that's not on paper my strongest suit, but I'll be better for it. I'll be fitter. It'll pay off in the long run. Harriet Dart, I saw last night as well, who I think, based on her post, got rolled from French Open Qualies, basically said, and for those who don't know, Harriet Dart, English woman, I think about 110 in the world or something, has probably been higher, but that feels about right at this point. Uh, her, her comments were, uh, hey, clay, nice to see her. And like can't wait for the grass, which is obviously a massive Aussie yeah. sentiment as well. Like can't wait for the grass. Yeah. But where do you, where do you sit on picking your surfaces and that sort of thing? Because it's a strategic decision that must guide a lot of your year. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. For me, happy go lucky. I'm just I'm just there. I'm just going to try and play and compete with what I'm on. You know, I love the grass. That's why I'm going. I'm gambling, going. I may not even get in. I, I'm fortunate. I'm really excited to play with Kim and Serbiton, which will be great fun. So tell us where where are you going for those that don't know? Oh, Surbiton. I'm going to London. It's a W100 event on grass coming up the week of the 5th of June uh, in Surbiton. So, yeah, and then there's like a WTA, the few WTAs the following week, and then another ITF on grass. There's only two ITFs on grass, which makes it quite tough for, for players that aren't at that WTA level quite yet to get on the grass, which is mm. tricky, other than Swan Hill, you know, that we had obviously in um, March, February, March. Yeah, so that'll be great. Really looking forward to that. It's an interesting topic because I think – it's also if players don't like it and they know their strengths, you know, I mean, most Europeans took on clay most of the mm. year. You don't sit on hard and mentally as well, if, if you're that stuck in your way that you're not going to compete on a certain surface and stick to what you're good at, right? But then I think it just depends on the person. It, it's tricky. Like I think there's no one good yeah. or bad way. I just think it's personal preference. And for me, I I like trying to play on all surfaces. I think it, it's fun for me. It's like a challenge. I enjoy it. But some people really don't. So then mentally, for their mental health as well, it may be... T- Better just to stay on one surface. I don't know. I just see it as a challenge and, and try and dig in and figure it out. But that's just what I do. <laughs> well, I suppose there is different schools of thought. Like there is the, there is the the Birrell theory, which is uh, it'll it'll help grow all yeah. of your game. And I suppose circumstances don't always apply. Like you look at Jason Kubler, he couldn't play on hard court for so long. He had to play on clay. 
uh, Max is obviously maximizing, excuse the pun there, his, uh, his hard court ability and someone who is uh, a bit of a freak on the quicker surfaces. But then I suppose if you're, if you're that good at it, you could be someone like Nick who doesn't play clay for five years in a row because he doesn't need to. But I guess for, for most mere mortals, that's probably not, probably not an option. Someone else that is doing pretty well on the Challenger Tour at the moment is Alex Vukic. So he has just got himself into the top 100 with, I think they had the delayed ranking updates because of the Masters events on. So you, like the they yeah. didn't they didn't update one week. So you got like, yeah. yeah, you effectively got like double points or not double points, but you accumulated points the following week. So he's in at 94 in the world, having come off ironically success on clay, which yeah. I wouldn't have pegged him for, having seen him play at the Aussie Open a couple of times. That forehand is world class, and the backhand I thought might have got exposed on clay, but he's um he's obviously got rid of that. So he's doing he's doing good things. The New South Wales boys. Do you have any much to do with Max or Alex? Have you have you got to know them over the years? I mean, I know Alex kind of just because he's from obviously New South Wales. I know Max better. My brother was a year younger, so my brother kind of also knows them. That's maybe just how I know them because from junior tournaments and stuff. I'm so happy to see him doing so well. It's it's great for tennis in Australia and New South Wales to see um, some blue wall guys doing super, super well. So, yeah, no, it's fun watching them and just, I don't know, the energy on court and it's fantastic, honestly. It's uh, it's great. I'm so happy for them. Blue wall. So you mentioned that just then. It's something I've seen on yeah. social media for about 10 years. What is the blue wall theory or the blue wall mantra? Look, I, I think it started with the guys. Like, I actually don't really know. They would know way more than me. I guess it's just from the academy, I think, at Homebush and TA. I guess it's what they call themselves. I think it's just a name and they obviously have a social media account. I think Jazz helps run that, actually. Jazlyn Hewitt, yeah. So I don't really know, to be honest. I think it's just what they call the academy kids and that's the kind of sticks with them, I guess. Yeah, no, it's it, it's working because there's what? There's Rinky, Max, Alex. Oh, yeah. So and, 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 and Damon as well, yeah. They're doing something that other states. Tomo, Tomo too. And Lexi is technically plays under New South Wales as well, I think. Mm. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Thompson having an underrated year, I think, at the moment. He's doesn't get a ton of the accolades, but he's actually the win percentage leader at the moment on their oh, challenge wow. with He's winning. He's got a 13 and 2 record at the moment on the Challenger Tour. He would like to have a percentage like that as he floats between Challenger and ATP events. You, you probably don't want to become the overall match winner on the Challenger Tour because that means you're not progressing, you know, far enough as it is. But I think that um, he's certainly off to a good start to the year. Some other names that I wanted to mention that uh, are worth keeping an eye out for those listening. So number one name I wanted to mention is Alexander Kovacevic. So Alexander Kovacevic, American, he's just come through with two hardcore Challenger titles at the start of the year. He picked up the Cleveland Challenger and the Texas Challenger, obviously enjoying the the swing on the home, home deck for him. He's got direct entry into the French Open, which is... Pretty handy at the moment for him being ranked 110 because two weeks ago, I think Alex Vukic was ranked 110 and didn't get to ranked entry. So he must have just been uh, within the cutoff at the, at the right point in time before then dropping out of it. He's got the one-hander going and I think he actually went to the same college as Alex Vukic, but he's big energy, big game. He's kind of got like the Ben Shelton vibes about him where if he gets it going, he could be anything. So watch out for him. And Nuno Borges. So for anyone that follows Jose Magado on Twitter, you will hear about this guy relentlessly. Up to 76 in the world off the back of two clay court titles this year. So keep an eye out for those names. They could do anything at slam level, obviously with a bit of form coming from the Challenger Tour. So hopefully we get to see a bit more of them, but I thought I'd just raise those as a couple to watch. Uh, what have you been noticing uh, out of the ITF Tour at the moment? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest one is probably the 16-year-old, Miran Dreva. She uh, won two back-to-back W60 events in Switzerland. The Russian girl? Yeah, the Russian girl, yep. And then she made fourth round in Madrid and lost to Sabalenka. But she beat Leila Fernandez first round, three and four, then Bia Haddad Maya, six and three, then Magda Lynette, three and three, and then lost to Sabalenka three and one in the fourth round, which is just outstanding it's unbelievable she's obviously just playing the best tennis of her life in watching kind of bits and pieces and it's unreal and she's 16 so big coming from her that is garbage good tennis i mean her dad maya the brazilian she is or at the time was the 13th seed and i'm pretty sure last year was sitting around 15 in the world all year after a couple of really big uh clay court results and then magda lynette 12 months ago that probably wouldn't have been as big a scalp as it is today but she was semis at the open this year sabalenka tore through her in that semi-final yeah yeah that's a hell of a hell of a one to watch i mean she must be the youngest person to have done that probably you know 16 years old in madrid probably since like a sharapova or something that's nuts i actually think that might be the start i think i feel like i've heard sharapova's name thrown around so that could be right yeah or maybe it's just maybe it's just the russian connection that is insane and one to watch for me as well i'll be in paris i'll be checking it out who else have you noticed sada she's from burundi she's been doing really well and just uh there's been a lot of news i guess come out or just uh stuff on social and about uh those tournaments that have been happening in burundi which is really awesome i'm just seeing more more tournaments in Africa and I mean the footage coming out of those tournaments was unreal just the atmosphere hundreds and hundreds of people the W25 event which is great I mean that's what we want to see the those level events and um just more exposure for tennis in a country like Burundi and, and through Africa just the uh exposure and and level high level of tennis that was there it was just awesome so uh I think she's also just another a great player to watch out for she's lovely played doubles with her last year in Prague yeah, I think another good play to look out for, definitely. I've just got this up here. So Burundi, south of Rwanda and uh, south of Uganda, inland from Kenya. That is truly middle Africa. I mean, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'd, ha- I'd have to look this up, but I'm surprised there are that many 25-level uh, events around that uh, that part of the world. I know that there's obviously some social and political issues that go on there that make uh, hosting sporting events and travelling in and out a bit challenging, but... That is remarkable. I'm guessing it would have been awesome like that. Uh, when you, whenever you see footage of, you know, kids playing soccer in the street, there's always, there's always you know, hundreds of people watching. And so I can imagine that's the vibe they were going for there. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, that's what it looked like. It's probably like a football game, you know. They're probably just cheering so loud. And, I mean, that's what it sounded like. I think there was two back-to-back. Then they're the only two that there have been. Yeah, I don't think there are any more expected on the calendar either. But a great start for a country to have 25s. So, and yeah. she's played her played her first main draw in Morocco uh, at WTA level. Got rock and rolled pretty easily by the looks of it, but still, nonetheless, a great achievement. And she's sitting at two hundred and fifty in the world at the moment. I would imagine she'd be the only one in Burundi with a professional ranking. I know this will prick the ears of yeah. uh, Brett Phillips, who'll be who'll be enjoying this. He loves it. He loves an obscure tennis player from an obscure part of the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said you played. That. You said you played doubles with her. How'd you come across it? You just cold call people for dubs. So I just messaged her out of the blue and I asked if she wanted to play and she wanted to. So it was great. It was good fun. Um, Unfortunately, she kind of got hurt that week in her singles. So we didn't finish the tournament. But um, yeah, like a lot of the time in dubs in the ITF level, you just message ahead for tournaments and just, uh, I don't know, kind of look at, you look at their results, but you also look at what kind of player they are and you kind of, you can kind of get a sense if you feel like you're going to gel well with them. And yeah, it was great. It was really fun on court with her. Cool. Well, you'll have to, uh, you'll have to let us know if you, if you tee up with her again, that'd be great to watch. Yeah. 
other things I've noticed on the ITF tour at the moment is uh, your presence on the ITF Instagram account. Yeah, making my first reel, definitely an interesting little thing I had to do the other day. So you'll be seeing me on more reels from the ITF page, Alex's advice. Um, just, we're just trying to bring exposure. You know, we have a lot of girls on the panel get a lot of messages from girls and guys on tour asking questions about rules and regulations. And again, like we were saying earlier in the, the podcast, girls don't read their emails or maybe their parents, you know, when they set up the ITF, it goes to them. So they never see the emails or they're not up to date with different new rules and regulations. So the idea is that we're just going to share kind of important facts and, and frequently asked questions that players come to us with so that we can share the, the news and the updates. And it just makes it more accessible for players because they're on social media already. Why not just follow the page and and get to learn more about what's happening on tour? And and to be honest, it's been pretty good, uh, the viewing of them. And, um, yeah, hopefully my content gets better there. <laughs> they don't improve my real making skills, but it's been fun to learn. And, uh, no, it's been really cool and, and fun, and I think it's important. How much longer do you have left on the panel? Because it's a two-year appointment, isn't it? Two years. So I've been on it a year now. Pretty much, I guess. Well, no, actually, it started technically December. We found out last year, mm. I think. So this year and next year. Yeah. So still a year and a half, but or maybe yeah, something like that. I don't know. But I'm enjoying it. I love it. I, I'm passionate about it, and I uh, I think it's really important for players to have that voice when we're kind of talking to the governing body about what decisions are being made for the tour, and to be able to have that representation is really great. Something I wanted to ask you as well, just. Uh... We're almost out of time here, but something I wanted to ask, I heard the other day, do you have to pay at ITF level a deposit for practice ball? Sometimes. So at uh, some location, I know, I mean, I'm not fully up to that. I haven't read all 300 pages of the rule book. I'm getting quite good at knowing all the rules, but yeah. So from the day before tournaments, the balls should be for free, not free. They're available and some locations will have a deposit. It just depends on a few things sometimes. So I know one of the weeks and even in Australia, which never happens, they ask for a deposit because players weren't bringing the balls back because, you know, people are stockpiling. They want to take them home to practice all that kind yeah. of stuff. So it really depends on the country and the tournament director at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, in Crazy. places like uh, Tunisia and I'm, I'm going to assume Sham and maybe some of those uh, resort style events where there are, you know, so many amounts of tournaments each year, uh, I know those places require a deposit. So yeah, that's that's just I know it happens. Yeah. And yeah. I yeah. saw uh I saw Ellen Perez post on uh Instagram. She was saying, you know, moving from WTA life to ITF oh, life. And yes. she's like, Yeah, gotta gotta steal steal all the balls from the WTA event because you've got yeah. to uh yeah, you gotta yeah, you gotta you don't stockpile get balls up. every day either. I mean yeah. maybe at the start of the week you get one can of new balls and mm. Depends on the tournament. Sometimes you get new one every day. If it's a 60, 80, 100, but if it's 25, you're only getting used balls every day. So by the end of the week, that you know, sometimes people change them out after matches so you can kind of get new ones, but there's a system to it. <laughs> but it's quite uh, the shake-up from a WTA, that's for sure. The life that you've got to live to make it in this game sounds yeah. sounds exhausting. James Blake's coming back to it. Oh, yes, let's 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 touch on that last. Quickly let's, mention let's, that because let's, let's wrap up with a, that. Yeah, he's playing a men's fifteen in Rancho Santa Fe next week. He's getting a wild card for doubles with a local teenager, Hudson Rivera. So he cool. Must be, he must be someone's kid. Like 
someone's kid, a sponsor's connection or... Yeah, or connected with if, if there is, in fact, the James Blake Academy. I mean, that Imagine is Imagine being in a remarkable. W15. There could be, like, some 16-year-old kids coming up against James Blake and doubles. How cool. I'd be interested to know how, how well he's moving at the moment because he used to go around that court really aggressively, sort of Novak-style, diving and stretching everywhere. I would love to know if he's able to do that or if he's got a bit of a pot belly and can't quite get the movement side to side going. No idea, but watch this space. That'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, we'll get the first serve Instagram to uh, upload something about that. I reckon that's cool as hell. Also, yeah. uh, I'd love to know how many he gets out of the middle because he could be shanking them all day long. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, that is all we have time for. Thank you, Alex, for joining in our inaugural uh, co-hosting debut. Uh, let us know if you thought that was uh, ordinary or not for those listening. And um, we'll be back next month with The Grind. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.